Yo, 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 good morning. This is your Friday morning podcast, and I'm here live with Kurt Summers, a.k.a. Kurt Graves. I just want everybody to stay tuned and listen to what we got for you in store. But that one is well deserved. If this is your first time hearing this, you are about to experience something so cold, man. I'm chosen and souls and soul, man. And a couple years ago, I never knew I'd be this close to my old man. The mole man, gold hand, me and my bro hands open a whole plan to get a scope on a gold band. And I ain't trying to settle for higher levels, I won't land. He can try to meddle, I fight the devil with both hands. We dream big on this side, Aki. I put my pride to the side. If I slide, then my squad got me. And everybody want to see something new. That's why I'm about to let the heat come through, because it's a dream come true. All right, bro. Well, I'm uh, as you know, I'm doing a podcast, and um, I'm just going through right now, and I'm just as I go through, you know, who I know, you know, in my friendships, people I've just come across paths with, and uh, people that I think that are up and coming and whatever they're doing in their industry, and you know. We're not the closest, but I, I've watched from afar and I've watched how far you've come up from just, you know, posting on Twitter, you know, short little snippets or on Facebook and now to having, is it an EP or is it an, an actual album? It's a, um, uh, I call it an EP. It was, uh, I usually just call it a project. Um, it was kind of like my first, it was definitely my first full project. It was also kind of just, uh, something I wanted to get out into the world just to kind of tell my story a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, that's dope. And I mean, uh, I'm assuming the numbers did well. You've you you posted back the responses from people listening on Spotify, Apple Music. You've just grown and grown. But before we get into like the the music part and how you found that, I just want to know, you know, a little bit of background information about yourself. You know, where you grew up. And how that process was for you? Yeah, South Jersey, man, six oh nine. Anybody that knows me knows I rep South Jersey super hard. Uh, my whole family's from South Jersey. Um, it was tough growing up. It was a uh, you know single parent household. You didn't have a lot of money. But uh, I will say one thing that I was always appreciative of was that within my household it was always very very stable. And um, even amongst you know a lot of a lot of uh, gang activity and know, drug dealers and dope boys and people that I was around. Um, and even a lot of my friends, my cousins, where they might live like three houses down. And we live in the same environment, but when I go into their house, it's just a little bit different compared to when I walk into my house and I feel a bunch of love. And I mean, my mom was always big on uplifting us and making us uh, believe that we could do anything in the world. So even in, I guess, the midst of chaos, I was always at peace because I knew my mom had my back and I always believed that I could do anything. And, um, you know, to this day, I think definitely attest uh, to my mom and what she was able to, to do in that environment by herself. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's evident. Uh, you, I forgot what song it is on your album, but there's a little phone conversation with her. You know, you even though you know you're not there when you're recording it, you can just feel the love through that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna put that snippet in here. It's it's a dope little snippet. I enjoy it. So as as you. Uh, so cool. Oh, it's on Soul Food? Soul Food, yeah. It's in the intro Soul Food. Bet. Bet. Yeah. As your faith grows stronger, you'll see him do more and more. He needs you to believe him. He needs you to trust him. He needs you to know that he's a good guy and that no matter what 
situation looks like, he is going to bring you out. And when he brings you out, it's all going to be for your good. And it's all going to be for his glory. And that's what he wants. Every time I hear your voice, I feel my destiny reversing. That's how I know it's destined, predetermined from conception to inception. All this mess I kept you medically. So as you as you grow up, you know, you're going to, to elementary school, middle school, you know, you're staying in your lane, trying to, you know, stay away from all these outside, um, you know, outside uh, things that can influence you to do the wrong thing. What's the process like in high school? Like, when did you discover musical talents? Was it in high school? Was it in middle school? Yeah, so, yeah, the funny thing, I, I think I wrote, first wrote a rap when I was like, nine years old, it was super trash. <laughs> I still remember the rap, too. It was super trash. Um, and then I want to say, you know, I was just playing ball, playing sports, and I, I got to, like, I want to say 13. And I actually had a cousin that moved from Baltimore to, uh, to South Jersey. And uh, he was, like, rapping super heavy. And this was around the time, like, you know, Meat Mill was still popping as far as, like, the freestyles I was feeling. Um, Reed Dollars, Cassidy. So, uh, he was rapping a lot of that kind of stuff, the hood, you know, street shit. But my brother was rapping from way back in the day. And I guess, y'all, yeah, I was like 13, and then we all started rapping for my church. So our first, like, official raps, I was doing gospel rap. Um, we rapped in front of my church. Like, first time we went up there, I froze up. Um, we kept on doing it, kept on doing it, went back up there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would always write kind of on and off. I was always a writer. I used to write a bunch of stories. Um, I love literature. I still read and study literature all the time. And, um, yeah, I kept music close to me, even throughout, you know, playing sports all these years. Um, it was always something that I had a love for, and I just, uh, I picked it back up super, super heavy once I, I stopped playing football. That's dope. I, I mean, a lot of people's careers kind of start where you, yours did. I have a, a homeboy back in California, you know, started, actually my brother, he started singing in the church. And then he just got into music and music led him into, you know, video creation and video production and that led him to editing. So, I mean, starting off in the church when it comes to singing can lead you down different paths. So I really do respect that. Uh, as you know, OK, you, you discover your musical talents, you go through um, high school and you're playing sports, playing football. I know you're from the football team at Vanderbilt. What led you to Vanderbilt? Why did you choose Vanderbilt? What attracted you to Vanderbilt? And do you yeah, think that like yeah. your, uh, do you think that your musical talents grew even more once you got to campus or, you know, explain that too? Yeah. So I'm gonna make a long story short, but it's kind of um, complex, but I told you I grew up with a single mom. So I got to my sophomore year of high school. Um, I was playing varsity, but it wasn't really popping up the way I wanted it to. Um, I was really a basketball player at first, and I was playing basketball. If, if the program wasn't going well, I thought it would go. Um, football was cool, but we, we had, like, two Division One running backs, <laughs> a future D1 running backs, and we just ran the ball every time. So uh, I wanted to actually transfer, me and my little brother, I wanted to transfer after my sophomore year to a, a school, uh, Hamilton High School, which is, like, you know, 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. The problem was we couldn't afford to live in Hamilton, so... That really wasn't plausible, so we kind of just sat and thought, and then we all kind of thought about the idea of, like, what if y'all moved to Georgia with y'all dad, and, uh, excuse me, and had some, um, some opportunities out there, because we knew Georgia was, like, popping when it came to, to athletics and stuff, and so, uh, yeah, it was, like, the biggest decision we made was to move to Georgia, and, uh, you know, my first time really getting to know my dad, and, uh, went to, ended up going to Alpharetta High School, we kind of toured a few different schools, enrolled in Peachtree Ridge, and ended up at Alpharetta. Um, I actually went to Georgia to play basketball only. 
and uh, ended up meeting. So you you remember um, Coach Chance, right from uh, from Benny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him. Yeah, so so I got the offer to high school, and my dad had met uh, the head coach, which is a black man. He had like a bunch of black coaches at this white high school, and um, yeah, and, like I remember I was in the equipment room because uh, my brother was was about to play, and Coach Chance was like, uh, <laughs> he was like, "Yo, can you catch a jump ball?" And I was like, "Yeah." They threw me a helmet. And so that's kind of, that's really how I got back into uh, the football after my sophomore year. And, um, yeah, it, it was just kind of weird. So I, I, I stopped playing basketball after junior year because uh, football was looking a lot better for me. Um, got a bunch of attention in spring, a bunch of attention in 707. A bunch of schools that said they wanted to offer, and they like, you know, we just need more more films. So I'm like, all right, cool. I had Josh guys at quarterback. I had a bunch of D1 players on my team. And um, I broke my hand in game two. Uh, so all that, yeah, all that potential offer stuff started looking shaky, and um, you know, I was real depressed. I missed like nine weeks, had a cast on my hand, metal pins, and um, man, thank God I was always a student first because I was able to stay in touch with the coaches that I had met throughout, um, you know, the spring and the previous summer. And um, Coach Benkins actually came to uh, to my spring game, and um, yeah, I, I hit up a guy was named Mike Hazel at the time. He was like the I think he's like the player personnel band back then. And um, I hit him up and, and Sean said, asked him if they had any preferred walk-on spots. And I came down to Duke and Vanderbilt, actually. And um, I was actually going to, I was 100% going to Duke until uh, Vanderbilt sent my, my acceptance back early because of Mosaic. Oh, okay. And I went, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I was super set on Duke in like December of my senior year. And uh, yeah, got my acceptance back early, went to Mosaic weekend and, uh, you know, met Coach Franklin. Got to see the team uh, during spring and all that. And, yeah, once I left campus so that weekend, I was like, man, I want to I wanna go to Vanderbilt. And I think the biggest difference between Vanderbilt and Duke for me was that, uh, you know, both of them are PWIs, so you're kind of going to get what you're going to get. But as a black man, as a minority, and somebody coming from a lower-income situation, I just felt way more at home when I stepped on, on Vanderbilt's campus. So, And I definitely think uh, that whole experience, meeting my dad and just growing in and seeing different parts of the country and, you know, just experience in general definitely added to uh, – to my music because it allows me to have a broader perspective and kind of see things in a different way from, you know, from different perspectives. Okay. Okay. So as you go through uh, your college career and you're ending up, you know, you're finishing up your last season, senior year, what, what were the next steps for you? Like in your mind, what were you thinking? What, what did you have planned out? Man, to be honest, I, <laughs> I had nothing planned out, man. I, I remember, uh, I was trying to figure out, and even to this day, man, I'm outside of the music and, like, you know, the fitness stuff, like, as far as what I want to do to pay the bills for now, like, it, it's hard for me to truly find what I love. Um, so going into my senior year, I was, like, debating on what I wanted to do, if I wanted to start applying for jobs or, or looking grad school. And so I kind of realized I did not want to go straight into the workforce, so I started looking into the grad programs. And, uh, yeah, just kind of researching business schools and, Thought about applying to Vandy, but I wanted to, to kind of explore something else. And um, yeah, man, I mean, I, I was I was kind of late with my applications and everything, but it, it ended up working out. Where got to Northwestern, it was my top pick, and so landed me in Chicago. And I've been I've been loving Chicago ever since. So you're down there in Evansville. I mean, like Evanston, Evanston my bad. Yeah, Evanston, yeah, Illinois. I, 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 live in, I live in the city of Chicago. Though. Um, oh, you? The main campus is in Evanston. Yeah, but I actually took class. At the downtown campus, so I was yeah, I've been in Chicago the whole time. So you in the city, city, you got some, yeah. you know, 
you got one of the greatest rappers, producers, whatever you want to call them, ever to come out of Chicago. And how does that, like, does that influence you in any way? Does that make you want to go harder in music? Like, I know you're still going to school, but how do you balance, like, the music in the school? Yeah, so, yeah, so, so I graduated in May, actually. So I've been working. I've been working since, uh, since June. Damn, I didn't know that. But, Congratulations. Um, yeah, appreciate it. It was, it was a one-year program, so super, you know, in and out. Um, you talking about Kanye, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, yo, Kanye is, man, I, I don't agree with all the antics, but since I was, like, 10 years old, he's my favorite artist um, of any genre. You know, um, College Dropout was the first TV I ever had as a kid, and uh, I used to play Kanye, like, freshman adjustment mixtapes and, you know, the bittersweet poetry and stuff like that. And um, I will definitely say you can feel that kind of energy in Chicago, and that was a big part of the reason I wanted to come out here was because, Man, uh, being quote unquote weird out here is kind of like the norm when it comes to the art scene. And so when I go to open mics and I mean they, the scene here, they're, they're so they embrace you so much. I, I get on stage and I'm like, my name is Curtis. Da, 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 da. I'm a rapper from Jersey, and they just start going crazy because they're not used to people from Jersey being in Chicago. Um, they love visitors. They love people who are coming from somewhere else to kind of take in the culture they have. And man, this to me, as far as what I've been around, this has been like the best. Um, music and art scene that I could even imagine, to be honest. And there's always something going on. Crazy, crazy amounts of talent. Perfect. That's just a great segue to lead me into, like, just the music aspect in general. Like, as a musician, as an artist, like, do you study the game? Like, how does it come to you? Do you study other rappers? Like, I mean, where does your your diction and syntax come from? I'm just, how does that whole process work in your mind? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so dating back to when I said I was a writer, so um, my mom, my mom can write, my mom can sing, my dad, uh, my dad actually was on Showtime at the Apollo, he won it a few times, okay. uh, back in the day, but uh, my whole family, we're all, we're all pretty musical, um, when it comes to, you know, the way I write and things like that, I, I mean, I read a lot, I read a lot, a lot, a lot, um, and I always have, I've always been fascinated by the English language and, um, not necessarily like I don't read a bunch of novels, um, even though those are great too. But I read, I'm just always reading something. That, and, and when I'm listening to other rappers, I love to study the way other people write because it's usually completely different from the way I structure my rhymes or or my metaphors or my um, similes or my alliteration. Um, but I'm always listening for how somebody else does it. Um, it just kind of pull it from that because I, I have a kind of weird way the way I go about writing rap. Like if I hear the right beat. I kind of know exactly what I want to say, but then I kind of have to, like, it's like a puzzle. You have to put the pieces together. Okay. And um, I'm real particular about the way, where my rhymes land, um, how the words connect. I, every verse has to, every line has to mean something. I don't like to, to waste lines. Um, yeah, man, yeah, I, I study a lot of people, man. Honestly, I get a lot of uh, uh, motivation and inspiration from genres that aren't hip-hop. Like I said, gospel is one of my biggest influences. Um, just into my content and the way I write. Um, I listen to folk music. I was just playing some, uh, I think it's Lord Huron. That's how you say it. Hmm. Um, super dope. Yeah, super, super dope. Um, so yeah, I, I play a lot of music that's actually not about that kind of just uh, inspires me and makes me want to think outside the box. So, I'm just, uh, I, I just, I'm curious, like, what? how do you, I know you don't know what you want to do in the future, but yeah. it has to be something music related, right? I mean, you've been doing this oh, yeah, for so long. Yeah. 
Is that like you want to go the producer route, singer songwriter route? Like how how is that gonna work? Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, rap, rapping is that's my calling for man. Like rap is is what I love. Rap is what I want to do. Um, I actually started making beats just kind of out of necessity and just kind of because I wanted to learn. Um, I don't love making beats, <laughs> but I've, I've found myself making a lot more of my beats uh, in the past like six months to maybe eight months. Um, just because I have ideas and I kind of want to run with them and I kind of, you know, try to build and craft beats around my verses. Um, so that's definitely, you know, when I get to a point where, where I have access to bigger producers and stuff like that, I would love to, to pull from them. Um, but yeah, I think no matter what, like I write raps every day. I, I, probably, I write at least a verse a day because I'm talking more. Um, I've already written like a verse or two a day. Like I, I'm just always writing in my head, writing, yeah, thinking of stuff putting voice memos on my phone. Um, so when when it's all said and done, rap is always going to be like my my love and my, my father card. So. I was just, yeah, you talked about producers. I was just wondering, like, how do you go about getting studio time? Do you do it all yourself off your own computer? Like, I know we're so far advanced. You can go up, you can pull up a DJ set, you can pull up GarageBand and clip it all, yourself, clip it all together yourself. But do you have an engineer that does all of that? Do you get into the studio? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so for a while I was uh, in my, my last place I lived at in, uh, in Lincoln Park, Chicago. I was, um, I just had a setup in the, in the room. Yeah, I had like a setup and I would just kind of have to wait until my roommates would be like out partying on a Friday or something or a Saturday and I would be time to record. Um, as far as making beats, I have, I have a, um, like a MIDI. I have a MIDI, uh, it's called Machine. I got a Machine Micro. Uh, shout out to Ali. Ali put me on to Machine. I got this a couple years ago. Um, I actually record now, my boy, one of my boys, Rock, uh, S.A.G. Slick, he has a studio in his house. He kind of built, uh, the company he works for kind of finance and to get studio equipment in his house and got it set up real nice. So now I'm there like every Saturday, every time I get a chance. And, um, you know, Rock mixes, Rock engineers, and my brother Chris, he has also mixes engineers. Sometimes I'll send stuff to him and, uh, he'll, you know, he'll take care of that. So it's definitely, a, um... It's a, it's a group effort. I don't I don't necessarily I'm, I'm, I want to learn to mix, but I kind of want to let people do it who are better than me too. Right. So, I mean, you listed all these different names. I mean, you're pretty plugged into the community out there in Chicago, and you were pretty plugged in from what I saw out here in in Nashville. Like, I you just people are naturally attracted to you, or you a, a naturally outgoing person, like. How, how did those things happen? Well, I understand in Nashville how it kind of happened, but in Chicago, going to a new place and meeting new people, and I mean, how do you get people to, you know, take bite on your music and, you know, get them to get you studio time or get the engineers to help you mix your stuff? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was uh, just kind of stepping out. Like, when I first got here in uh, July of 2017, um, you know, it was summertime, so there's a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, I actually had a couple friends here, uh, Andrew and Nathan, would tell me about uh, different events and different open mics, so I would just go. Just show up. I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know if it's going to be a bunch of people watching or nobody watching. Um, and you might get either, either crowd, you know, any day of the week. Um, so I would just go there and I would just introduce myself. You know, I am Curtis. I'm a rapper from Jersey. I just moved here. And um, I would always rap something that I knew would, would captivate people. And I always did open, I always do open mics, acapella. Because I want them to really hear every word I'm, I'm, I'm saying, and I want them to really feel the emotion. So I would a lot of times I would go and I would do uh, I would do bastard, 
and this was before the project was even out, but I would do faster. And so when they would hear the pain of my voice rapping about my relationship with my father, um, it would endear people to me and it would kind of make them curious of, of, you know, to hear more of my story and what I was doing. And I would say that the open mic scene definitely helped me get connected in a lot of ways. And then my boy Rock that I record with, I actually met him through one of my classmates that was working for the same company at the time. So definitely organic, um, organic connections that, that were made. And I'm definitely grateful. I always try to make one valuable connection anytime I go to an event. And so... It's dope. It's dope. You're super plugged in. I mean, super plugged in. You couldn't walk nowhere on campus if it was for football, whether you were in the classroom or if it was people knew you for your your lyrical genius. People knew who the fuck you are, who the fuck you were in Nashville, and they probably still do. But uh, let's take a step away from music. As you know, you you played football. You kind of stayed in touch with your fitness, and you got this little fitness page going on. You think you're gonna make a little run with that? Like, how how's that going? Is that just for the ladies, or are you serious about that? Man, I ain't gonna lie. It's a little bit of both. It's, it started out. I was just kind of because um, it started out when I was at Vandy. I would I would I didn't have a page back then. But I would just hashtag like body blocker. Um, just in the gym, showing abs, doing a bunch of bullshit. Um, you know, like I said, for the ladies. And um, I kind of wanted to um to be a little bit more methodical about it um, because I know how many people do struggle with, with confidence. And, and my, I mean, my mom just got her first gym membership like a year ago. And um, she's always been inspired because my whole family, a lot of us work out a lot. And uh, my mom, obviously working and raising kids. And, you know, she was never able to dedicate herself to, to doing that. And so now that we're grown, um, she was really trying to get into fitness. And that was definitely a big part of the motivation for why I wanted to take it a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but even now, like, it's not, I want, it's not like a full-time thing or, or because I'm, I work out all the time anyway. Um, but I do like to, to post and to inspire people and, you know, design little workouts and then, you know, a little money on the side too. It's just, isn't bad at all. So. Yeah. You think this could be like a, a future thing for you? Open up your own fitness shop as like a little side hustle or, you know, you just going to oh, stick with sure. music? <laughs> not for sure. Cause I, I also don't like being pigeonholed. Right. And um, I want to do so many things. I mean, my biggest my biggest dream, and I actually spent a semester at, uh, at Vandy taking a, a non-profit class. I was actually I was in class with Ralph. Ralph was in my class. And um, it's the uh, community center slash rec center back home. Um, you know, resources with job resources and music education, athletics, um, you know, all, all types of stuff, uh, ROTC. Um, just things that I think would be necessary back home that we didn't have and that I think could save a lot of people. Um, but yeah, the fitness, I mean, that's definitely a part of it. Like, I would love to, I was talking to Car and he was saying that uh, he could see me, like, running running some boot camps with a bunch of, uh, like, pretty women <laughs> doing workouts and stuff. And um, yeah, but no, nah, that, that'd be cool, man. I think that's definitely something that, I mean, it's something I do anyway. Right. You know, so why not make that a part of, a part of my brand and who I am? Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you, you going back to the music, um, a lot of your music sh- comes from your pain and what you've experienced growing up, but, and you said you like to read a lot. So I was just putting, trying to put two and two together. Like, is there, are there certain messages that you're going to start rapping about? Like, as you see in like social injustice, what's going on in the world? I saw a couple tweets where you're talking about, uh, toxic masculinity and black masculinity with Jesse Smollett. Is there like any lyrics that are coming about? that focus towards that or is it mostly just the the pain you felt 
growing up as a child? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my inspiration is kind of sporadic when it comes to the subject matter and topics I rap about. Um, and kind of like I said, where sometimes I hear a certain beat and I, I kind of know what I want to say. Um, so it's very rarely that I'll like, force a topic, but um, I mean, that stuff is always on my mind, man. And I think one of the challenges today is, is because the day and age we live in, um, it's, it's, you have to be way more mindful of, of how you maneuver and how you operate. And, and one thing I recognize, like, we live in a patriarchal society. Um, and that's definitely a, a male privilege, and it's also a heterosexual privilege. And so you have to be able to navigate that, and you have to be able to, to try to understand, because I, I'll never 100% understand what it's like to be in a gay man's shoes, because I'm not gay, I'm heterosexual. Um, but it's on us, and like heterosexual men, and anybody in general, to, to hear their stories and to take their, their stories seriously. Um, when it comes to the Just Eat situation, if, um, what, hurt, what hurt me the most was... Um, I found myself like hoping that the hate crime actually happened because I don't want I, I don't want to see somebody um, make something like that up. And I, I'm not sure if it's been 100 percent proven as as false yet, but um, when it first happened, like I, I was I was hurt because I know exactly where the attack happened, um, the alleged attack. It's not far from where I actually took class at, um, and I was like, man, that that is like a shitty. Um, like event to happen to you, like simply because you're black or because you're homosexual, somebody attacks you. That, that's that's like the lowest of low. Um, and then when they when they said it was probably fake, uh, I started thinking differently about it because it, the other side they don't take our, our story seriously anyway. Mm-hmm. As a black man, they don't take the story seriously. They think you're, you're exaggerating. You know, like McDonald, Mike Brown, Trayvon, they would say otherwise, but um. They'll tell us we're exaggerating and we're, you know, we're mad for nothing. Um, as a gay man, same thing. They'll tell you you're exaggerating that you're upset for nothing. Um, so they don't listen to us anyway, but what the Justice thing does, if it's 100% proven false, is that it allows them to have an escape and a justification for something to point to when things do go wrong. Um, and so that's the part that kind of, I think, hurt me the most. I don't, I, like, I, I have no love loss for Justice, like, as a black man. Like, I, I love him the same. Um, I'm just not sure what would push somebody to to do that and to weaponize, you know, your position in a marginalized group, and especially as a hate crime. But yeah, kind of wrong with the way. But um, yeah, man. I, with all it being said, I, I think about that stuff a lot. Um, and just navigating this world as a black man is, as you know, it's it's tough, man. We got it. We're born with two strikes, so trying to figure it out day by day is definitely a battle. But um. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely sure some lyrics will come out at some point because I'm. I'm always thinking about this stuff anyway, so it's got to come out in the first eventually. Right. I don't know, man. That whole that whole Jesse Smoke situation. I, I I don't know. I can't. I can't rock with it, bro. I I I just I feel like I understand that you know there's people out there who are they're looked at for what they're doing and people applaud them like just for being martyrs. And he wanted to be a martyr. Basically he wanted to go through pain and suffering because of what he believes in and what he is. And he wanted to like be the face of gay black. I don't know. I just, he did a lot for no reason. I mean, people already respected him. People, I don't think people really had a problem with, you know, 
as far as the I people. Think people love them. Yeah, yeah, right. I like, like, yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't, I don't know anybody who had an issue with him prior to that. Like, I think, I mean, he was one of the first. Um, I don't know if he was the first, but one of the first um, openly gay male like dudes to also be openly gay on the show. Like, whatever, how do you classify it? Um, but that was huge. Like, I remember watching Empire like the first season when when Jamal came out, and I was like, oh. Shit. Facts. This I'm like, telling you, bro. Yeah, it's kind of groundbreaking a little bit. Like that was that was dope. Yeah, and then like to all the things that he's like losing because he wanted to be a martyr and yeah. stand up for something that people really like. To be honest, I really didn't even. I kind of forgot about him being gay. Like he just was another yeah. nigga to me. You know what he's I'm saying? Yeah. Right, right. He's a cool dude. And now he's losing. They're they're talking about cutting him out of Empire. Like just to lose so much to do something that was gonna have such a little effect continues yeah. to blow my mind. Man, yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, but uh, on the topic of you know social justice and social reform. You know, you being in Chicago and that being one of the the, the dangerous, most deadly cities yeah. in the U.S. How how do you see that on a daily basis? How do you see you know police interactions? How do, how are your police encounters? If you've ever encountered them, like mm-hmm. what do you see in Chicago? Man, this is a uh, so I'm, I'm gonna hit a couple points. Um, the crazy thing about Chicago, if you've never been, um, and I had no idea about this until I came, but um. Man, Chicago is so divided, bro. It's like, you don't have to see that stuff. Like, I, so I live on the north side. Like, I was in Lincoln Park, and now I'm in Lincoln, which is even further north. Um, I don't see the hood, which is crazy. But like, if you don't, like, I work I work downtown. Um, a lot of stuff I have to do is downtown. Like, I've, I've been, you know, south out um, in, like, Hyde Park for open mics and stuff, and I went to Taste of Black Chicago. Um, on the south side, but I'm not out there like often, and so it's kind of scary in a way when you think about all the stuff that's actually going on in those neighborhoods, south and you know south side and the west side. Um, it's, it's scary to think that there are so many people who just are not exposed to it, and they don't have to be. And that part freaks me out the most. It's like as a black man, I have to think about these issues, right? Because they directly affect me and the people that look like me. But if you're a, a 15 year old white kid that grew up in Lincoln Park. And went to Lincoln Park High School, and I mean, like the stuff is going on out in the South Side, but you don't have to even know it exists. You don't have to acknowledge it, which is, I mean, it's scary, man. I got a lot of friends from from out there, and it's crazy how they're forgotten about, but they're also blamed for a lot of their own ills, which you know, it's a lot more nuanced than just niggas being niggas, you know. Yeah. Um. And then when it comes to um, okay, what was the other uh? Like police encounterments, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so growing up, my mom, and this is sad, she had to do this. But I mean, like five years old, she was telling us how to interact with cops because she knows how how some police officers can be. And I've been harassed multiple times. Um, my my boy got beat with a nightstick. Um, we were always getting bothered by cops back home, even though a lot of them, a lot of them loved us, man. They were like our football coaches and stuff. But there's always. It's the one bad apple out of a hundred that makes all of them look bad. Right. Um, so, you know, I've, I've ran into that one bad apple multiple times. Had a few encounters in, in Alpharetta, Georgia, um, with black and white cops, which is, uh, you know, but I was always taught just to say yes, sir, and and keep it moving. Like, you're, my dad tells me this, too, that your, your job is not to be a tough guy. Your job is not to prove anything. It's not to be macho. Um, it's not to assert 
your soul, your job is to, to make a home safe to your family. And so um, even when we, I get pulled over for nothing and they search the car and ask if I got weed on me, you know, all this stuff, um, even with all that going on, I, I make sure I'm always respectful and I try to do my best to get out of their way as soon as possible. And then I, I, I found myself too when I walk past cops, I turn my music down because I don't ever want to, I don't ever want there to be a situation where they're calling for my attention and I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. And, I'm re- and I'm reaching in my pocket to my phone or something and they mistake, you know, how, how it goes. Um, sad, but that's the reality of the black man. So when I walk past them, you know, I greet them. I, I say, you know, how you doing, officer? I make sure my hands are out of my pocket. I make sure my hood is off. I make sure I turn my music down in case they say something to me. Um, yeah, man, a lot of, a lot of precaution. I don't carry black wallets. I only carry brown wallets. Um, a lot of precautionary stuff that really should not be a problem in 2019, but, you know, I'd rather be aware than, than be oblivious and, you know. Yeah. Going back to that earlier comment, you was talking about how it's so divided. It kind of reminds me about, like, Vanderbilt. As you know, like, coming to Nashville, Vanderbilt's, like, it's it's a bubble, right? And then you got you got North Nashville, and over there, you got, you know, Dodge City, and it's the hood over there. It's some jacks up there. Yeah. You got Edge Hill right over there behind Commons. You go over there, down near the uh, football field, um, near Titan Stadium. You got Shelby Court Park over there. And there's all these different, you know, projects. And I'm doing air quotation while I say this, bad neighborhoods. But Vandy kids don't realize that. And they're out here, you know, jogging late at night. And there's, it just like, you saying that just brought that back to my mind. It's just like, only if you guys knew what really was going on around you, you guys would not be out here. You guys would not be acting this way out in public. Like, the shit is not a game. People don't understand that because, you know, you go to a PWI and it's like, uh, you pay a lot to go here. So you think you're safe. You think everything's secure. Nah. There's niggas down the street that'll stick you up and not give a damn about who you are, who your mama is, yeah. who your daddy is, none of that. Yeah. It's crazy, bro. Yeah, I'm, and, and that's real. And, and like, like the, those people, like a lot of, of course, a lot of bandy kids, they come from the top 1%. They come from these great neighborhoods where things like that aren't even a problem. So, like, I, when I was in Lincoln Park last year, it actually made me a little bit uncomfortable how, how safe it was. Cause I'm like, man, I walked to 7-Eleven at like 11 p.m. Oh, yeah. I'm always on the edge at night when I'm outside just because of my upbringing and things that have happened to me before and things I've seen. I'm always on the edge. Um, I'm, I'm out like 11 p.m. I see, I mean, you got middle-aged white women jogging, walking the dogs, <laughs> and, you know, they're not even looking at their surroundings. And I'm like in the safest neighborhood ever, and I'm still looking over my shoulder. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's almost, it's a luxury to not, be aware of that stuff, but it's also a detriment because, like you said, right outside of Vandy, there's a lot going on, and, and and those people aren't bad people, but a lot of those people, it it's so hard to rise about those environments when nobody around you has ever risen, yes. never found out how to do it, or they've exactly. never had anybody reach back who did make it out and pull them out and, and try to teach them the way. Um, and so that's all they know, and so it. it one thing I learned as a kid is like you don't underestimate somebody's uh, desperation. Yeah, that's a fact. And like, so I'm, I'm always looking around because you never know. Like, I mean, the dude might—I don't think a guy might be a bad dude, but like, damn, what if he got two kids and like he, he can't get a job because he got arrested when he was 15 for having a plant in his pocket, and now he can't get a regular job. So now it's like, damn, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. My my babies are hungry. 
and uh, there's so many and there's so many things that go into your uh, situation. Like it's part of it is like you know grown people should take accountability. The other half is like I understand the circumstances that and the factors that lead you to this kind of lifestyle. You know, right. Man, going back to that point you just said, people don't go back to the hood that they came from and help these people out of those, you know, out of the trenches. Is Curtis Graves going back to South Jersey to help those people out? And if so, how are you going to do it? I mean, you talked about going back, and I think you said, like, it was a resource center, but is there anything else you want to do? Yeah, man. Yo, honestly, that's that's something that I think about literally every day. I have, a, like, sticking notes of, of affirmations and different goals on my wall. I look at every day, and um, I will say the the biggest challenge for me is when I left. When I first left Jersey, I was I was almost seventeen, and um, it was tough. But I knew I needed to get out of that environment to to make it to where I wanted to get to. Um, typically, in in within my neighborhood and my community, uh, as far as black people go, a lot of them they they play ball from the time they're little kids. They, and they, I mean, there's so much talent out there. Um, you get to like sophomore year. And that's kind of when they stop being eligible. And then, okay, now if I can't play basketball this year, all right, cool, I'm not going to go to football workouts either in the winter. Um, and, you know, school just kind of becomes an option. And by the time you're 16, you're pretty much on the block full time. And now you're making two, three racks a day at 16. You're making more than your mom ever made. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to get out of that. And, um, because of that, because so much, so many of my, my love people I love the most have always been in that lifestyle. I don't judge. Um, I understand, but I also know for me, sometimes the best thing I can do is lead by example, which was going to Vanderbilt and graduating, going to Northwestern, um, chasing my dreams to try to get on a platform as big as possible so I can pool resources. Even if I don't have the capital myself, my platform and my status as a public figure or whatever, whatever it is, um, will allow me to, to have some credibility to reach out to other you know, donors or whoever it is, and be like, look, this is the plan. Like, I, I mean, I, lo- I love what Chance is doing in Chicago. He does a bunch of that. And, um, yeah, man, I, I will say the biggest the biggest challenge is trying to have, like, one put in and one put out. Because I know I can't spend significant time as far as, like, my actual life in South Jersey because there's nothing for me there, which is why I left. Right. Um, if I stay there, I'll be stagnated. But um, I know I, I, like, I know it's in me because I, I know I have to, to find a way to help bring that renaissance and bring that change um, to my city. And I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm racing an album. I think I just put it in my last IG post. Like it's, it's like an hourglass. And I lose people every year. Um, I've lost like three friends to heroin in the past like year and a half. Um, of course, gun violence. Losing way too many people on both sides of it. Um, you know, people doing the killing, people getting killed. And, um, I'm scared, man. I'm not gonna lie. I'm scared because I'm I'm a little numb. I've grown a little numb, and it's because I feel like it's not a question of, of if; it's more of a question of who and when. Right. Um. So yeah. So I'm I'm kind of in between the rock and the hard place where it's like I know I have to be calm and be somewhere where there's opportunity, so I can grind as hard as possible to make myself be as great as I know I can be, as great as God created me to be. But it's like, damn, am I moving fast enough to be able to do this and still be able to go back? And I know I'm going to save a bunch of lives, but it's like, I want to save my people. Like, the, my people, I went to school with, like, my cousins that's sitting in prison right now or my boy that's that's on the block 
full time and, and has no idea what the next five years looks like. And that's that's my challenge. It's like, will I do it fast enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's always the biggest goal. I mean, a lot of people don't know me or know my story, but, you know, I'm not from the yeah. best neighborhood. You know, I've adopted, yeah. been through the, the whole foster care system. And my, yeah. my whole goal is I, can, I don't know if I can go back to Cleveland, but I do want to affect as many people as I can. Like, I want to help my family out. Uh, I want to help my people out in Cleveland. I want to help out foster kids. So I see where your pain is. One more One more question before I wrap it up. Sorry if I cut yeah. you off. No, no, you're good. I was saying, I didn't know you uh, were from Cleveland originally. Yeah, bro. I was born in Cleveland. Uh, was in foster care. Got adopted when I was eight. Yeah. We moved to Evanston because my pops went to Northwestern. He went to Kellogg's uh, School of Management. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was at. Yeah. yeah, my pops went there. Then we moved back to Cleveland. And then he got a job offer in Florida. So we moved to Florida, packed up everything, moved to Florida. And then he got a better job offer in California. So that's why I always claim California and Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah appreciate I that. Thought, bro. I knew you were in um in foster care, but I thought you were just uh in Cali the whole time. That's that's crazy. Yeah, man, I I don't been around, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh man, what was the question? Okay, my question before we wrap up, before we get into this last little segment that I have that I like to do is, do you plan on moving out of Chicago, or does Chicago have everything you need? Because I know a lot of up and coming artists like to you know move to. California, you know, Los Angeles, Hollywood, be on the scene, you know, be where the people are, get the connections, or does Chicago have everything you have right now? Honestly, um, that's, I guess it's still to be determined, but I would say right now, and since I've been here, um, Chicago's been the perfect place for me to be when it comes to, to trying to grow and trying to meet people and connect and even expand um, my repertoire just as an artist and as a creator in general. Um, the weather, the weather gets tough, man. The winter, like Jersey is mad cold, but Jersey's not windy, man. That wind is something different out here. <laughs> like the winter, it, it like smacks you in your face when it gets cold out. Oh man. Um, so honestly, that that would that would be the only thing that I would want to get away from when it comes to to living in Chicago. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I I think it's my favorite city I've ever been to. So. Yeah, that's dope. Well, you know, I had a. This was a dope interview. I learned out, learned about some shit I didn't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're prospering and doing well. Again, I want to congratulate you on graduating. Not many of us brothers, you know, make it out there, make it that far at least. And that's more inspiration to to the youth that are going to hear this, to the people that are going to hear this. And it was just, it was just had a real good time, you know, just kicking back and talking. Appreciate it, man. As we, as I wrap this up, as you heard with Ryan, you know, this little thing is like, you know, what to look out for in the future. What is Curtis doing in the future? Do you have an EP dropping soon? Do you have a music video coming soon? Like, what should we be on the lookout for? Is there any social media we need to follow? Just go ahead and spit it out. Yeah, so social media, Twitter, just call me Kurt underscore. Same thing, I just call me Kurt underscore. Um, Spotify, all that, Kurt Summers. I'm actually dropping a song called Miracle a week from today, so uh, March 7th. And then um, I got like two videos coming out with different songs I'm doing. And I'm in the process of actually like, right when I hang up this song, I'm getting back to working on the next uh, project. It's going to be called Cameraman. And that's like an exclusive, like, I, a lot of people don't know the title of it yet, so. My next project is going to be called Man, well, 
I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate you for, you know, believing in my sight and giving this whole podcast a, a chance. And I wish you nothing but the best, brother. Of course, have a